um, like a pickaxe, a mattox, um, food, cut, nourish. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. The arrogant mock me without restraint, but I do not turn from your law. I remember your ancient laws, O Lord, and I find comfort in them. Indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. Your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. In the night I remember your name, O Lord, and I will keep your law. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. Your precepts. Nice. Okay, today is May 18th. Let's see here. They trusted not in chariots or horsemen, but in the living God. Let's see what we have here. During the Civil War, the revival spread throughout the Confederate Army, and many soldiers came to know Christ. This was largely because many of the generals were dedicated Christians. The soldiers had strong spiritual leaders as well as military leaders. Lieutenant General Leonidas Polk, an Episcopalian, was one of those influential generals. General Polk was spiritually mentored by two of his close friends, E.M. Bounds, a chaplain who was later known for his books on prayer, and Frank Leon, a leading Christian layman. Polk became known as a man of God among his troops, influencing not only his soldiers, but also other generals on spiritual matters. General Polk and General Hood were riding side by side one day discussing battle plans. General Hood had lost his leg in the Battle of Chickamauga and had to be tied to his horse. The conversation shifted to spiritual things as it often did in the presence of Polk and Hood asked if he would be willing to baptize him. That night, he baptized Hood in, the front of the, in front of the troops against the background of artillery fire. It was moving for the soldiers to see their one-legged general leaning on his crutches, affirming his faith in Jesus Christ and committing his life to him. The wife of General Joseph Johnson heard about General Hood's baptism and she wrote to General Polk, you are never too much occupied, I well know, to pause to perform a good deed and will, I am sure, even while leading your troops on to victory, lead my soldier nearer to God. General Johnson has never been baptized and it is the dearest wish of my heart that he would be and that you should perform the ceremony. It would be a great gratification to me. I have written him on the subject and am sure he only waits your leisure. I rejoice that you are near in these trying times. May God crown all your efforts with success and stay your life for your country and your friends. On May 18, 1864, Johnson confessed publicly his faith in Jesus and was baptized by General Polk. Polk wrote of it to his wife. It was a deep, solemn scene, and what a passage for history. God seemed to be drawing our hearts to him. Our trust is not in chariots or horsemen, but in the living God. May he take and keep all our hearts until that day. Just a few weeks later, the troops of General Polk and Johnson were stretched too thinly across the mountains of North Marietta, Georgia, making them vulnerable. On June 14th, General Sherman's Union forces fired several rounds of cannon fire up the mountain toward Polk's troops. One shot exploded near General Polk and shrapnel tore through his chest, killing him. In his blood-stained pocket were found three copies of a tract entitled Balm for the Weary and Wounded. They were inscribed to Generals Johnson, Hood, and Harding, and each had been signed. 
with the compliments of Lieutenant General Leonidas Polk, June 12, 1864. He had undoubtedly intended to give them to his friends that morning. When presented with his tract, General Johnson tearfully said the autograph and the noble blood that almost defaces it makes it a souvenir truly precious, one I shall cherish while, almighty, while the Almighty leaves me on earth. General Polk had a great ministry to those within his sphere of influence. Even in the height of battle, his thoughts went to the spiritual needs of those around him. To whom within your sphere of influence do you believe God would have you minister? Who needs to hear the good news of salvation or to be encouraged in their Christian walk? Ask God and he will open the doors and show you in whom you can invest your life. 2 Corinthians 2, now wherever we go, he uses us to tell others about the Lord and to spread the good news like a sweet perfume. Very wonderful. Uh, what was the guy? Stonewall Jackson. He was also a Christian and a uh, little nutty. He was a little bit nutty, but he uh, was a Christian and he uh, uh, relied on the Lord just constantly in his writings and in the things he said to people, but uh, he was a little off. And they say, I've heard, I've heard people say that people that are uh, the greatest at what they do are usually a little eccentric. Like Martin Luther was the great reformer, and he was definitely a little eccentric. Not um, a little. Yeah, not a little. Anyway, uh, yeah, you get people that are, are like, well, look at Elon Musk today. I mean, the guy is like partially autistic, and, and uh, uh, but... He, he's definitely a little eccentric, but boy, he, uh, he's very good at what he does. He gets rockets up into space and they land back on their stands and things that we only thought were in movies, you know, 30 years ago. And so anyway, um, uh, I don't know what my point about that was, but anyway. Know, but was uh, Hood the guy who they named uh, the mountain after? or Who, Jackson? Hood. Hood, Mount Hood. Um, no, I don't think so, because that's out in uh, Washington, isn't right. it? Right, so, I don't. It could be. I don't know. There's you you would think if it's in Washington and if it was named after a Confederate soldier, they'd be renaming it right now. But Fort Hood has been renamed. Oh, yes, it has. Yeah, Fort Hood, which was down here. Oh, they've done that to several in the past month. Yeah, they've done uh, three Navy ships in the past month. Hey, it's just, it's vile. Anyway, um, oh, I got a couple prayer requests. Hang on here. I've got, um, uh, oh, you know, I want to, before I give any prayer requests, I got a friend in South Africa, Terry, and she is really struggling. I mentioned her a while ago. She broke her leg and she has not been able to walk since. So I just want to send her a hello. And then uh, my friend uh, Scott out in Colorado has had some tough times too. So I just want to say hi to both of them and give them, cheer them up. Uh, let's see here. David and Kelly are both having parts replaced. Kelly had some parts replaced this past week and it's okay, but she needs to get up to full steam. And uh, then Dave, sometime sooner, going to have uh, something done. And so uh, keep them in prayer. I always say, my friend told me, this is like, listen, I'm only 58. And uh, it's like 14 years ago, my friend uh, that I went to high school with was having his hip replaced. And he said, Charlie, you know we're getting old when you start replacing body parts. So anyway, um, but he really, he was, he's been in the church a few times. He does not take care of himself. He, he's constantly skiing and you know doing things that 10 year olds are doing and uh, so if he's replacing parts it's because he's worn them out anyway so David and Kelly let's hear Lenny 93 heard the gospel and must now decide he's down in Naples and so keep Lenny in prayer 93 and time is moving on um, and Susan who uh, she plays the organ on uh, Sunday she had her stones exploded on Monday 
and uh, stent inserted, and she went home and slept well and is doing A-OK. -okay. So we're, we're hoping that that will just continue on uninterrupted from this point on. Oh no! Past couple of weeks, and this is no time to be trying to find a reliable, mm, used car. decently priced. Used oh car boy! For a so your nephew and your niece both need cars. Yes. All right. Well, we'll have them in Pereira as well. Thank yeah, you. you got it. <laughs> uh, and to answer your question, Tom must not be back from uh, from yeah. Indiana because he's not here, and he never ever misses anything he does. No. So no, my guess is he's still up there. No. But that's okay. He went up there for a funeral, and well, you know. Well, he did. I just yeah. kind of am surprised he's not. Yeah. Here okay. Today. Yeah. Well, Heavenly Father, here we are, and we certainly lift up the people we mentioned and the requests for assistance in getting cars as well. And uh, Lord, we just pray to you that, uh, especially Lenny, 93 years old, he's got to make a decision soon, and we would pray that uh, he would consider and he would uh, accept and uh, be reconciled to you. Um, but that's the same with all of us. We could all be dead tomorrow, so. Uh, there's a sense of urgency for everybody to consider what they're doing and what their state is before you. So we lift these people up, Lord. We thank you for the ones that are doing better, and we uh, just pray for the ones that are not or that are still facing something ahead. Tom with his uh, coming surgery, whenever that is. And uh, Lord, we uh, have a few people that have left for the summer, and we pray that they'll have a safe and blessed summer while they're up there and uh, that you'll just tend to their needs. And uh, we thank you for the chance to come into your your. Uh, presence and to fellowship with you through your word and uh, we thank you for it and we just pray that it would be handled properly and uh, the exciting details of 1 Thessalonians 4 we're just very happy about this Lord the, the uh, promises that you've given us in this chapter so we look forward to it and we thank you for it and we praise you in Jesus name amen, amen. all right so we are yes 1 Thessalonians 4 and we're in verse 2 2 so you just start wherever you yeah, want. Let's just start at the top. Top. One, okay. One. Finally, brothers, we instruct you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Two. <clears throat> For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Okay. This one says we know what commandments we what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So, same thing, just a little different worded. But, let's see here. 4-2. As, excuse me, as normal for the word for, it is given to either explain or confirm something stated. For, etc. The same is true here. He just said, just as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. That is the basis for saying for now. It is those commandments which Paul and his associates gave to those in Thessalonica through the Lord Jesus. That's uh, Paul's words there, through the Lord Jesus. His words must be true as he's stating it in the letter that they had really been told these things. Okay, he says something to the people. I've said this at least 10 times during this uh, epistle. He says something to them, you know this or you know that or we did this or we did that. And he's saying it to them about things that he did with them. So it must be true what we are reading here, because if it wasn't true, this letter never would have left that church. It would have been thrown away and they would have said, this guy is a complete oddball and we're done with him. Or it would not have been passed on beyond that, okay? Somebody would have challenged it. They would have said, listen, 
what he said is not true. I was there when he was there in Thessalonica, and it didn't happen. We have no record of that, which would have outlasted what we're reading right now, for certain. If anybody can challenge the Word of God, they will do it. Okay, so we know that what Paul is saying is true. If no such commandments were given, then he couldn't call them to memory now, but he did give them. Further, he was with them <clears throat> such a short time earlier that they would certainly be able to re recollect those things that he had said to them. This is important because the longer someone is gone, the duller the memory gets. Okay, I uh, typed, I just, I'm going to make a point about this because it happens to fit with what I just said. The longer someone is gone, the, how did it say it, um, the, uh, the, yes, the duller the memory gets. Okay, so you go back to Acts chapter 17, and today, I'll have to figure out which one I typed. It was probably 11 or 12 or something. I don't remember, but the actual verse number, but it says here, um, hey there, in Berea, and it says, brethren immediately sent him away. These were, okay, yeah, 11. That's what I typed. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. I can't tell you how much is in those words there. It's just unbelievable. Okay, they're more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. Okay, fair-minded is kind of a paraphrase. Even if that's what it means, it, the word is actually noble. But um, they're more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. Well, here we are with the Thessalonicans, and we know what happened with them. It's right at the beginning of chapter 17, and it says that uh, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths, reason with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preached to you is the Christ. And then it says, and some of them, speaking of the synagogue, were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks. So you can already see a giant difference between Thessalonica and Berea. Berea searched the scriptures daily, thank you, daily. Thessalonica, Sabbaths. three Sabbaths. They went to the synagogue, they read the thing, and then they left. And that was it. Three Sabbaths. It doesn't say anything about searching the scriptures daily. The people in Berea went on Saturday when Paul would have met them the first time, and it says they searched the scriptures daily. They went in and they searched it out, and this is people that had regular jobs. So they either, my thought is, and it's not in the Bible, but they either went early before a long day of work, or they went after a long day of work and they searched the scriptures. They may have gone at lunchtime, but I would doubt that because they didn't have cars like we have today. So they went to their work and they probably just stayed there until the end of the day or before the beginning of the day, and they did what we should be doing. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do because this goes exactly with what we're talking about in 1 Thessalonians. That was, um, tell me what it was, Acts 17, 11. Thank you. So we're going to go. Uh, glad you could help. Okay, I'm going to take you, and I want to read you what Albert Barnes said about that because I didn't even change it. I just used his comments on that. And for the people that don't uh, read the daily commentary, which is fine, shame on them, um, I, I uh, would like you, yes, yes. As long as you're reading the Bible, oh my gosh, I don't like, what do you call it, auto- uh, Autocorrect. Auto I, I typed in Acts and it says actor. So I don't want actor. Um, Acts 17, 11. Let me read you what Albert Barnes says because this is exactly what I would have written, 
but I didn't have to because he said it just the way I would have said it. And so I cut and pasted it and gave him credit. Okay. Uh, they received the word. Here it is. And search the scriptures and then daily. Okay. Uh, he gave four things. He gives a big comment and then he gives four reasons why this is important. That is proof of true nobleness and liberality of mind to be willing to examine the proofs of the truth of religion. What the friends of Christianity have had most cause to lament and regret is that so many are unwilling to examine its claims, that they spurn it as unworthy of serious thought and condemn it without hearing. So I tell somebody about Jesus and they say, well, it's just religion. I say, you know, if you take the time to read the Bible, you might find out that it actually is telling you something that you can use. Well, it's just myths. It's all. And so they spurn it. Okay, that's one. Two, the scriptures should be examined daily. daily. Thank you. If we wish to arrive at the truth, they should be the object of constant study. That man has very little reason to expect that he will grow in knowledge and grace who does not peruse with candor and with prayer a portion of the Bible every day. Obviously, he, it's wonderful the way he said it. It's a little different because he's using these old English uh, superlatives and stuff, which we don't use anymore. But And then four, the preaching of ministers should be examined. What do I say every Bible class? Look up what I say. Don't Check what Charlie Garrett said. And I'm not saying that to ask you, oh, he's saying that so that he obviously must be telling the truth and therefore I don't have to check him. I'm saying it because you need to check what I have said. And he repeats that. The preaching of ministers should be examined by the scriptures. Their doctrines are of no value unless they accord with the Bible. Every preacher should expect his doctrines to be examined in this way and to be rejected if they are not in accordance with the word of God. That is absolutely and 100% correct. They should be rejected. And there are people in churches all over this world. I'll just use America because that's where we live. There are, in America, there are probably uh, 500,000 churches. There may not be that many, but there's a lot of churches. And I would bet that in those churches, less than 1% of 1% of the people check what their pastors are saying and that is a crime because they can be saying anything to you absolutely anything and if it is not true they are they're just setting themselves up for a fall that's why we have cults all over the places because people do not check out what their preacher or pastor says and that is unacceptable what albert barnes is says is true and what i say every week is not to get you to not check it's to encourage you after we get done to go check anything I reference, anything that I don't take you to directly, you should go home and say, write, <clears throat> write it down. He just mentioned this, but he didn't, you know, read it to us. He didn't say how it fits into what he said. Go check it out. Okay. I think it was last week I talked about, maybe it was two weeks ago now, I talk about um, uh, one of the verses from Ecclesiastes that I always say when I do a funeral. I always use it because I want the people that are left behind that are sitting there to think about the thing that uh, it's for them. It's not for the person that's dead. And so I try to always repeat 
the same two verses or three. It's actually Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 4. And a lady emailed me, or she actually wrote me, and she said, Charlie, can you give me those verses again? Because I would like to uh, consider them, and etc. Anyway, um, and that's what I would like people to do, is to actually go and check out what is being said. Because if you don't, and I'm not talking about just me. If you watch people online, if you watch YouTube videos, if you... Whatever you do that comes out of this word should be verified. And if it's not verified, you are the one that is setting yourself up for a fall. To be a Berean Christian. Yeah, be a Berean Christian. That's exactly right. They searched the scriptures. Let me read that verse again, and then we'll get on with uh, the commentary here. But that's exactly right. Be a Berean Christian. As a matter of fact, if you go, there are some churches that say Berean Baptist Church. Or uh, there's a, uh, a website called the Berean Call. And that is the call to be a Berean, the call to be a person that actually checks what you're told, okay? And I don't know if the Berean call is a good website or not, so I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying that's what it's called, okay? Um, and then websites and, and preachers and stuff change. Guys die, somebody new comes in. You don't know if they're as good as the guy that was there before. So you, you just have to keep checking and checking. But here's what it says. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness. Okay, so what does that mean? There's two things that that means. One, they were not gullible, and two, they were not dismissive. They didn't just dismiss it and say, we're not gonna listen to this guy, or I already know better than whatever he is going to say. They accepted it. They received the word with all readiness. Paul stood up and he said things and he made various claims. And they said, okay, that's really great. It's so nice to hear you. And then what does it say? And searched the scriptures daily. So. The first part is they're not dismissive. Second, they are not gullible. They are both willing to receive a word from people, but they are also willing to check out what they're told, okay? They search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so, because you can't find out any other way. There is no other way to find these things out than to open the Bible and to look. It is impossible. I closed, I think, the commentary, I'm pretty sure I did today, with uh, you cannot know God it is impossible to know God personally without knowing Jesus Christ. It is not possible. And you cannot know Jesus Christ unless you know the Bible. It is not possible. This is the only way you're ever going to get the revelation of Jesus until the day we are raptured. It will never come any other way despite what people claim in churches. And those are the people, when they make those claims, that you should probably leave that church very quickly. We saw what happened in uh, Kenya. I'm going to bring that up again. Uh, new numbers and, and uh, information on the church in Kenya that was doing what they were doing because people did not check the word. This okay. is our friend. What? No, 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 no. This is the one about the occult, that uh, the starvation cult. Star yeah. 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 I got more information on that one coming on. So, oh, it's unbelievable. Okay. But, you were pretty good in your estimate. Estimated 380,000 churches. 380,000 churches in the United States. That's, that's a lot of churches. And like I said, I bet you that out of 380,000 churches, out of those 1% of 1% of the people in those churches actually do what the Berean call would ask you to do. Check, study, show yourself approved. Instead, people just filter in there on Sunday morning or some of them on, and my mom used to call them C&E Christians, Christmas and Easter. CEOs. Yeah, CEOs. Um, so they would, they would go in, they'd go twice a year, and that was it. And that was their whole spiritual life, okay? Whatever they are, whatever you do, you need to be in the Word, okay? And as Albert Barnes said, daily. Okay, because, oh, and here's the whole point. Um, 
what is it? Further, he was with them such a short time earlier that they would certainly be able to recollect those things he had said to them. This is important because the longer someone is gone, the duller the memory gets. I'm telling you that if I didn't read the Bible every single day, I would not be able to remember what I remember from the Bible. And I can't remember 99.972% of it. Okay, I can remember a very limited amount, but that's only because I read it every day. I read it when I first get up. I read it before I go to bed. And usually because I'm in that type of a job, I'm reading it throughout the day as well. But that's not always the case. Okay, I do other jobs. And uh, yesterday I cut down a big tree and I cut up a big tree and I'm still physically beat up from it. So there are days where I don't get as much uh, time in, you know, doing what I should be inside than I normally do. But um, you, you got to be in the Word constantly. I don't care how smart you are, you cannot remember everything in this Word. And then, uh, I, who was I talking to about this just a day ago? Anyway, Ron, he's always asking me these big questions from sermons three months ago on Sunday morning. He always asks something. And I say, I don't know. And he says, well, why can't you remember that? And I said, I wrote it down so I don't have to remember it. That's the whole reason why. Now, if somebody sends me a question from 1 Corinthians, I don't answer it anymore. I send them the link to 1 Corinthians. Yeah. Scroll down to the verse you want, there it is. It saves me all of that grief because that's why I'm doing this every day of my life is so that it's it, this is what I believe, but I can't remember it all. It, and for me to just stop and to give you an answer, to just start speaking, it's not going to be as thoroughly thought out as if I have spent an hour and a half on it on Monday morning or Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning. And so I want it to be proper. I don't want to just off the top of my head answer something, okay? Well, the other thing too is that if you're away from it, you're not you're not getting your tank filled up yeah. every day. And Absolutely. It is a two-way street. It's Absolutely like, you know, so. right. Uh, you know, there there's this uh, saying, I said it I think uh, that maybe during a Bible study, but it's been a while, is the, uh, guy that says, well, you know, I don't need to go into church all the time. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and the response to him was, well, what did you have? Oh, oh, I know what it is. I can't remember all I heard in church anyway. And the guy says, well, what did you have for dinner last night? And he says, I don't know. And he said, you know what? It fed you. It kept you nourished. It brought you to another day. That's what the Bible does. It feeds you every single day. Even if you don't remember what you read, that's not the important part. It is becoming a part of who you are. And if you're not feeding on it every day, then you are being drained of it, just like you would be drained if you didn't eat food every single day or try no water for a day. That's a lot more difficult, okay? The whole point of doing something repetitively is, you know, there's a, a, a guy that I always see his videos come up. I've only watched one or two of them, but uh, he, when I first turn on the... Uh, YouTube every day to watch the Bible Bites, you get all these videos that they want to have you watch. And one of them is a C, I'm an ex-CIA guy, and he tells you how to defend against this or how to break into this. He tells you all the secrets that the CIA uses. And one of them I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Let's see. How do you, if somebody's got a gun pointed at you, not get shot? It's a five-minute video. And he did a great job. I mean, you know exactly how to do it. And But he said, now that you know this, practice with somebody with a, a dummy gun, not a real gun, but he said practice this because the repetitive motion is what will train you in how to react. Muscle memory. Yeah, muscle memory. And you will be able to do this without even thinking. It's the same thing with the Bible. It's muscle memory, and if you don't exercise the muscle, you will not remember what to do. 
He did one on how to avoid being stabbed, or if somebody's got a gun at your back, how do you de, uh, you know, uh, get the? And it's very effective. I mean, I could, if you held a gun to me right now, I could ostensibly get away from it. Lucky for you, yeah. I didn't bring my. Gun. Yeah, you didn't bring your gun, so uh, <laughs> we don't have to try it now. But I, I know it, but I have not tried Maybe through practice, and because I haven't tried through practice, there's a good chance that I could get shot in the process. Right. Okay, but the whole point is that you you do things in life repetitively so that you don't have to uh, even think about it anymore. Okay, somebody asks you where in the Bible is Hosea. Well, you used to have to stop and think Hosea, and all of a sudden you don't even need to question anymore. You just know that it's in the Minor Prophets, and okay, there you go, you go to it. So, okay, another thing too. Yes, about the Bible that's amazing. Here it is. How many years have you been studying the Bible? I don't know. Since two thousand one. Great. How much do you learn every day that you pick it up again? Every single it's day. It's the deepest well that I've read it every it's single like, day since 2001. And I used to read it for three full years at least. I read it 10 hours a day, every day, seven days a week, because I was in my store down there. And unless there was a customer in there, and even if there was, there was only a customer in there. For They come in and they buy and they leave. So 10 hours a day, I sat and I read the Bible for three full years. And I'm still reading it and finding something new every single time I read it. And then I really find something new when I do the sermon typing on Monday morning because that's a completely different way of looking at things. You're now evaluating and you're studying in a completely different way. And so new things come out constantly. Okay, or same thing like the Acts commentary this morning. Something new I'd never thought of before. Daily as opposed to every three Sabbaths. I'd never even thought of that. But then I thought I'm gonna reread what it said about Thessalonica so I can make a comparison. Sure enough. And that's something new I'd never even given thought to before. All right. Anyway, um, let's see here. Um, uh, Paul is asking them, meaning the Thessalonians, Thessalonians, to consider those commandments and apply them to their walk. These are the things he told them. Now do it. As they're through the Lord Jesus, meaning they carry the weight of his instruction to Paul, which he in turn passed on to those in Thessalonica, then it is this very set of commandments which will guide their walk and make them pleasing to God. Everybody got that? God wants this done. He sends it through Jesus, the word of God. He sends the instruction for what is to be done that will be pleasing to him. And then Jesus, the word of God, issues it through the hand of the apostle and the apostle sends it off to those in Thessalonica. And now we have that here. So we don't need to have Jesus tell us that because it's already recorded. And what we need to do is to read it and to say, okay, I know now that I need to do these things. I need to develop in this way and that'll make God happy with me. It doesn't mean I'm gonna lose my salvation if I don't, but I'm gonna remain an ineffective, weak Christian all the time that I don't do this, okay? This is what Paul would ask us to do. The inspiration of Paul's teaching as an apostle is seen in these words. And it carries throughout this letter and all of his letters. It is confirmed by Peter as well. Peter says that Paul's letters are on equal footing with, with, with Scripture. Yeah, with the Old Testament Scripture because they didn't have any New Testament at the time. This is found in 2 Peter. He says this. Let me take you there. But yes, on the same level as the other apostles, but specifically he uses the word Scripture. So 2 Peter chapter, I'm in 1 Peter still. Okay, 2 Peter chapter 3, and then he says here, um, dum, 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 14, 15. Okay, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord Jesus, of our Lord, is salvation. 
also, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all of his epistles, speaking in them, meaning his epistles, of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. He is placed on the same footing as the scriptures that were given through the hands of Moses, through Joshua, through Samuel, through Job, through David, through any person in the Old Testament. That was the scriptures at the time. Paul is also scripture. And people take those things and they twist them. And unless you know what they say, you are going to be sitting in a church and you are going to have the word twisted by people that have an agenda. Okay, I don't care how sweet and gentle people are. I don't care how authoritative they are. I don't care what title they have. If they went to this seminary and they have a doctorate in this and a doctorate in that, it means absolutely nothing if they are not handling this properly. It means nothing. I don't care what their background is, if they're Jewish or if they know Greek fluently, doesn't make any difference. The only thing that matters is if what they say is in accord with the word of God. And if it's not, and you don't know what the word says, you're gonna be led down the wrong path, okay? So, um, 2 Peter 3.16, it is an important precept to remember what Paul says is doctrine for the church age, okay? Now, obviously, the things that Paul says about holiness and about this and about the nature of man and all of these things will be applicable after the rapture of the church. That's not going to change. But the focus of Paul's letters is the people of the church age because it is not Israel that is in, in the main focus right now. And until Israel's in the main focus again, this is the Gentile-led church age. There's a point where that is going to change and the focus will be back on Israel, okay? And when that happens, the uh, later epistles will apply more especially. But the same thing is true with the book of Hebrews. Even though it's pertaining to the Jewish people, because it's written to the Hebrews about them and about their relationship with the Lord, it has truths in it that pertain to us today. When it says that Jesus is our atoning sacrifice, that's not limited to the Jews. That's everybody. He is our atoning sacrifice. He is the initiator of the new covenant. Are we in the new covenant? Yes. Absolutely. And so that applies to us. But the focus is different. So you need to understand focus, you need to understand context, etc. As long as you got those things, then you'll know that Paul's letters are for us and they're focused on us, okay? But there are truths to be found elsewhere. And in fact, Paul says to Timothy that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine and training and righteousness for the man of God, etc. So uh, the, the preacher should be in all of scripture, teaching all of scripture to his congregants, okay? And he should be doing it in a capable manner. Um, life application. There are many things in scripture which are hard to remember. In fact, if we aren't in the word daily, there's that word again, daily, we will quickly dull in regards to them. Anyone who thinks they can pick up the Bible once, read it through, and assume that they are now fully prepared for a life of living out a proper walk with Christ, that person is deluded. It must be read continuously and it must be meditated on always. Now, an example of this, I am a certified wastewater treatment operator and I'm a certified water treatment operator. And I have to keep my license up, which means I have to take uh, CEUs, continuing 
education units. If I don't do that, they'll take away my license. But I can assure you that the CEUs are just a real brief overview of anything that can happen in any plant throughout the United States of America, okay? Anywhere. And there, every single plant has its own nuances, okay? Some uh, plants have uh, one type of treatment, another have a different type of treatment. And they followed the same basic process, just like your stomach and Burke's stomach and your stomach. And they, it, we're all a little different. We eat different foods and there's a little bit different going on, but they are different in maybe the number of tanks, the way the tanks are arranged. And if I don't, if I'm not working in a plant, I'm not going to know what is going on in a plant anywhere. How Hi, are how are you? Good. What's up? Um, Bible study. You're Oh, okay. Well, come on yeah, in if you want. In. We're just having a Bible study, but yeah. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Right back there on that. Just check out that back area over there. And if there's anything that uh, I like, got a business card right there. We've got some, you know, whatever. Take a take a peek. That's fine. Right yep. So uh, anyway, if uh, as far as the uh, treatment process, if I'm not in that every single day, I am not going to remember what to do. There are 10,000 valves, there are 10,000 switches, there are electrical, uh, you know, things that are going on. And if you don't do that every single day, you'll very quickly forget what's going on. And if I was taken back to one of the plants that I used to work at, which are both gone now, but if I was taken back to one of those plants, I would not be qualified to walk in there and start doing that. I wouldn't be able to do it. I would have to go through a training process and then every single day I do the same thing, I'd monitor the same things and I would be useful in it once again. And that's the way it is with the Bible. You can't just say I've read this book one time and that's it, all right? You have to be able to say uh, I am uh, uh, going to dedicate myself to this, I'm gonna plan, I'm gonna be ready for it and every morning I'm gonna read this word and every night I'm gonna read this word and I'm gonna think on it during the day. And uh, that's the same thing with evangelizing, okay? People are always saying, well, I'm just not sure how to evangelize somebody. And well, that is something that you have to learn. You don't just walk up to somebody the first time and give them an eloquent discourse on Jesus. You might have a passionate discourse, like, you know, Jesus saved me and I wanna tell you about him, but you really don't have anything to back up what you're saying. And when they ask you a question, then you feel foolish and you say, well, I don't wanna do that again. Well that's not the way it should be. It should be go out and do it again, do it again. Keep telling people and eventually it becomes regular, okay? For us in the projects, when somebody new comes to the projects, they have no idea what's going on, okay? They, they don't know how to talk to people. They may not have ever prayed openly in front of people before and all of that becomes an acquired skill. So just because you don't know something doesn't mean that you can't start doing it and you can't become proficient at it. It just takes effort, okay? So. Um, even at that, Charlie, like, I can know what the answer is supposed to be and I can stumble and bumble because of the way they're asking a oh, question yes. and, and you're, you're caught off guard or there's too many other things going on and you walk away going, oh Lord, that was awful. You know, and then they come back and they came to faith. Well, you know, it was the Holy Spirit. That's it was right. Nothing you did. I will tell you that, I, and I've said this. You may have not been here before when I've said this, but I've said this a couple times. Is that I had a policy at the wastewater plant on the key. I was the, you know, I ran the plant. Okay, and uh, so 
I had a policy. If somebody came into my office and it didn't matter if they were selling something, it didn't matter if they were, it, you know, uh, a guy that was having a problem with one of the tanks, he's delivering, um, you know, uh, whatever. He's delivering iron for the uh, in, the PO4 uptake, whatever. Okay, he's delivering a thousand gallons of iron. And so um, uh, yeah, I said, if somebody comes over that aluminum threshold, I am going to tell him about Jesus. That was my policy. And there were times where I was busy, I was distracted, I couldn't have, I could not have told the person correctly about Jesus if I wanted to. And the guy receives Jesus. And the next time I'm sitting there, I've got nothing going on, my mind is clear, I may have just read the Bible for a few minutes, and I'll start talking to somebody about Jesus and I'll get zero response from them. It just went, they couldn't have cared less. And that tells me that it is the Lord who ultimately is communicating to their hearts in the way they need it at that time. Because there are times where you just cannot even get out of your own way, and yet the person decides he wants Jesus. Sure. But there's no reason for not at least trying, okay? And it is a process. It's a process, no, and you can get that. better at it. If you want to know how to uh, learn more fully, teach. And that way you will learn more fully. You learn more when you teach than you will ever learn when you are learning. I absolutely assure you of that. People that teach have to be, what's the word? Uh, they, well, it's not just prepared You because somebody will ask you a question you've never thought of and you have to now, what's the word impromptu or uh, there's a word I'm thinking of where you have to now Ad-lib. think what, yeah, but you, it has to be correct at living. Of course. But it, you, you have to now think in a new way and you, you begin to train yourself to think in a different way when you teach. So uh, never feel like it's wasted effort when you go out and you talk about Jesus and you messed it up, okay? Because you are now learning a process and you will be much better at it every time you do. I assure you of that. Anyway, okay, 4-3. All right, real quick question. Yep, here. yep. My, um, my uh, NIV here has, in verse 1, we instructed you had exhort. Okay. And then four has instructions and you had commands. Uh, that was three or two, two. commandments. Yes. Yeah. So. Okay. Oh, I, okay. I got you. Yeah. Yours were instructions. This one is commandments. So, you know, what we would have to do is actually go to the original Greek and sit down and then we'd spend an hour on one person. Yeah, yeah, okay. But yeah. Just, it's interesting because it's like, you know, I exhort makes more sense. Oh, absolutely. For the first one, but instructions, instructions if you're using exhort, you wouldn't use command because that's... No, like that's your, right. It's like and it's probably not commands because a commandment uh, implies that there is a law and law implies the imputation right. of sin, okay? And so even if something is actually a commandment, it, it we are not under law, we are under grace. grace. That's right. And so uh, we have to keep that in the proper perspective because, of course, the Hebrew Roots movement take verses like Jesus and you know uh, the commandments of Jesus, and then they say, well, that means the law of Moses. And when Jesus speaks of the commandments, he never, ever is referring to the law of Moses, ever, okay? As a matter of fact, uh, Burke knows exactly where I'm going right now, but I'm gonna take you to John 6, and I'm gonna take you to verse, I think it's 29, and it says here, um, uh, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. That is what we are to do, is to believe in Jesus, not to be, you know, trying to live out the law of Moses, because that's a dead-end street, and you will never get anywhere, and you will never be saved by adhering to the law of Moses. No person ever was, no person ever will be. Jesus is the only one that could fulfill the law of Moses, 
okay? And so when he died, he fulfilled the law, he set it aside, and now we are into a new covenant. We are not under law, we are under grace. So, oh, I put that down, and we haven't read the verse yet. Mine has I didn't read three also. No, you haven't. What? Mine has commandments also. Yeah, commandments. But if you go to Discover Bible, they'll give you all of the... All the different... Commandments, or what did you say? Exhort. Instructions. 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 Yeah. Instructions. It'll give so. you all of the synonyms. Okay, right. well, just because you're doing this, and just, just as a point of checking it out, I'm, I'm just going to read you what it says here. If I can ever get this thing to do something other than what it's doing, which is, it, I, I don't like iPads. I like my computer because it actually works when I need it to. Well, it's not just that it's small, it's just, it's just goofy. Okay, being online is goofy. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 2 is what we're looking at, right? Okay, so 1 Thessalonians 4. And we're just going to do this one time. Don't get me to do this every time because we'll again. never get through with a, a class. But um, the word is uh, parangelias, and uh, parangelia is a command, charge, injunction, a precept, a rule of living. A command, literally, something announced from close beside. Anytime you have a word that begins with para, it means close beside. Okay, and then the second half is, um, what would be the second half of that? Paralego, which is, um, uh, I notify, command, charge, entreat, solemn, solemnly. And the word agelo, ag I said alego, agelo is from agalos, to announce or report. Okay, so close beside, announce. Think of that. And so I would say instruction is just fine there, and it, it gets rid of any hint of being under law. Gotcha. Okay, anyway, go ahead. Great. It is God's will that you should be <laughs> sanctified you should avoid sexual immorality. Okay, this one says this is the will of God. Yours says this is God's will. Which one is right? Oh, oh. Okay, your <laughs> sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, and obviously this is going to continue on. This yeah. is just the first precept that he says in there. But having said that, um, sanctification, I mentioned this, I'm sure I mentioned this in this class I may have said it in a commentary, and if I did, I apologize, but I think I said it in this class in the last week or two weeks. Last week. Okay, last week. What is the, what is the difference in, there are two types of sanctification. Can you remember what I said? Oh, I, uh, I remember going, set aside for God. And you got what? The medium progressive. That's right. Their immediate sanctification means you are sanctified in the eyes of the Lord. It is a done deal. When I came to Jesus, I was positionally sanctified in Christ. Set, done forever. I've set apart to God, and God deems me as sanctified. Yep. Okay, you go back to Romans and it says, those whom, whom he called, he uh, cho chose, or uh, not chose. Anyway, he justified, he sanctified, he glorified, whatever. There, there's an order that he gives in Romans, and I, it may begin with justified. I think you're right. So uh, that is done. You are sanctified in the eyes of the Lord God. But there is also what is known as progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification is what Paul is asking us to do in our lives. Okay? We are not sanctified people. Okay? Anybody that comes in here and says, I'm perfect right now, is insane. That's the only th thing I can think of. All right? None of us are perfect. We all fail. We all mess up. We all think bad thoughts. We do things we shouldn't do. We don't know the word, and so we can't do what the word says. Okay? If you don't know the word, you can't follow the Lord in what he expects you to do. So that is progressive sanctification. Our immediate sanctification is only 
in God's eyes. It is not in how we actually are. Okay, so that's the difference. And what we are looking at now is speaking of a different type of sanctification than what Paul says as elsewhere. Because when he writes to, uh, who was it? You were sanctified, you were blah, blah, blah. He's, he's telling them, these things, was it the Galatians, I think? These things happened to you. And now you're going back and you're trying to undo it. Why would you do that? So when he says you are sanctified, he's speaking about in the eyes of God. There's nothing you can do to become more sanctified in the eyes of God. But there is something you can do to become more sanctified in your walk before God. And that is what we're doing here. So uh, this is the second four in a row from Paul's hand, from Paul's hand. He just said, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. That was his words. He then immediately explains why they were given and begins explaining the reason for those things, along with a, the first of a list of some of those commandments. He's reminding them of what he had told them. These are the things I told you. Now I'm going to repeat them to you again. And once again, if he wrote these things to them and he said, well, this is what I told you before and he didn't tell them before, then they would have said, well, you never said this before. You never said to abstain from sexual immorality. And so we've not been doing that. Why would you not tell us that before? But he did, and he's reminding them of it now. Okay, so he then immediately explains why they were given and begins explaining the reason for those things, along with the first of a list of some of those commandments. Whoops, I just read that. Okay, for this is, Paul's words, for this is the will of God. The commandments or instructions are for are God's will for us and they bear a specific purpose in being given, which is, Paul says, your sanctification, which means me too. I'm not saying you're all you. I'm saying me, you, all of us that Paul is writing to. The idea of sanctification is holiness, okay? Here's God. He's perfect. He is infinite. He is outside of time, space, and matter that he created. Here's time, space, and matter and his creation going in this direction. At a point, at the very, very beginning of what he did, man fell. And when man fell, everything went chaotic. Everything. Nothing is in the right order. Now, obviously, the sun rises at the same time every day, and there are things in the creation that we can tell God is in control and that he has a wonderful hand in what he is doing. You go out at night during May in Florida, and you can hear the Chuckwill's widow. You ever hear them? Yeah. It's the most wonderful bird. And you hear them, you don't hear them on the key anymore because the rich people have cut down all of the pine trees they live in. But, you know, I can hear them singing across the bay, all the way across Sarasota Bay. I can still hear them every single night. They used to be right outside my house. I, there'd be like 50 of them and they'd be singing to each other. But if you've never heard the Chuckwill's widow before, just go online, type it in, and you can listen to it because somebody has recorded it on YouTube. It is a beautiful bird, and you can say, it's, you can hear the wisdom of God in things like that. Or you look at how things work in the ocean, or how things work in, you know, whatever. You know that God is still in control of things, but everything is also chaotic, okay? Stars explode, uh, meteorites hit the planet and kill people. I mean, these things happen, all right? So there is a, a chaotic thing that is going on in the world. But here we have, um, uh, what was I saying? Um, uh, specific purpose, which is your sanctification. The sanctification is holiness. God is perfect. We're imperfect and we're in an imperfect world. And what God wants us to do is to emulate him. 
okay? Holiness means set apart. God is set apart. When Aaron was, uh, you know, uh, made the high priest of Israel, ordained, thank you, he was set apart. He was consecrated to God. He was sanctified to God. Okay, once again, that's a positional sanctification. It doesn't mean that he was any better than anybody else. He had to sacrifice for his own sins before he could sacrifice for the sins of the people. But he was given a position that was holy, that was sanctified, that was set apart to God. And that is what we are being asked to do in our lives. Because if we don't do these things, then we're gonna be living just like everybody else. And there's no difference between the church and the world. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. We are supposed to be emulating Christ to be like Christ so that the world can say there is a difference in them. And a lot of people would say, well, look at those holy rollers. Well, they can think whatever they want and they can do whatever they want, but there is something that pleases God and there are things that don't please God. So um, let's see here. Um, your sanctification, that's holiness. Believers in Christ are to be set apart and live lives of honor towards God. Now, how many of you do something really stupid or something angry or something, uh, you know, whatever, and you feel like, I really let the Lord down? I don't know about you, but I, I do that a lot. I really, I get in fights with people or I, whatever. And I think, I, you know, it, it's so hard to, to think, how could God love me? Okay, but the fact is, I know he does. And I know that I am sanctified in his eyes. I know that I am set apart in his eyes. And so I just have to live through my own stupidity sometimes or my own anger or my own, you know, whatever. And if you don't feel that way, I'm happy for you because I feel that way all the time. Anyway, um, I, I just feel like I'm always letting him down. But I know that grace is grace. And I know that he will never let his grace fail me even when I fail him. So that's my assurance. I, you know, I hope everybody here would have that same assurance because that's what the Bible teaches. Yes? The vessels for the tabernacle. Right. All these cups and everything else, they were called holy. Yeah, holy to holy. the Lord. Dr. McGee said they were all beat up traveling for four years. Yeah, they could have been they were still, still holy. holy. They were still that's apart. right. He says, you, you, you might be Beat up, you know, yeah, but you're still holy to the Lord. But if we're set apart for him, you're set apart. He Absolutely. Said. Well, what does it say in Zechariah? Talking about that exact same thing. It says in Zechariah, I think it's chapter 14. Let me find it there really quickly. Zechariah. And it says, um, let's see here. It ends, I think it actually ends on this. Yeah. Um, we'll start in 1419. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day, holiness to the Lord, sanctification, set apart to the Lord, shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. It's exactly what you're saying. A guy in his house is you know, using it every day and it's beaten up, it's set apart to the Lord. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day, there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Okay, so um, uh, exactly what Vernon McGee said is exactly the way it is. Okay, we can be as beat up as we are and yet we are set apart to the Lord. Okay, hey, trust in the grace of God. Yes. Sorry, one, some, somebody said to me, one day, because um, I was really struggling with my own personal sanctification, how I failed the Lord, and in 
particular sins that we are apt to repeat over and over. Right. And um, said, stop thinking about I'm disappointing him or not pleasing him. The thing that is pleasing to him is have you accepted his son? That's right. right. And then do you confess it is impossible to disappoint him because disappointment uh, is a human thing. Because that's right. He's We've already believed in his son, and that's why I say grace is grace. And so we can't disappoint him because he already knew right. I would fail him. He knew that we would fail so him, and we, he also knows every one of our imperfections. And so we deal with it from our perspective, and we deal with it, it with each other. But so there's also the thought of letting down others as well. Yes. And so we have to deal with that. So in this, you know, the main thing that we wanted to hold in ourselves is that the Lord has saved us. He has sanctified us. Yeah. It is done. And that is the point that what you have said is exactly right. He has accepted us and we just have to accept it. And with right. everything, it's like this, it's down to motive. It's like, you know, I'm That's right. upset. You're going from the milk, as he says, to maturity. Yeah. Absolutely. We, it, right. This is where we go. That's right. We are growing. And that is what this is for. Right. That's right. exactly right. Right. Okay. All right. So um, let's hear. Um, uh, this is the will of God. Paul's words, the commandments are God's will for us. I said that. Okay, believers in Christ are to be set apart and live lives of honor towards God. Then, here, the law of Moses contains five books. The first three follow in a particular order to show us what is being relayed here by Paul. Exodus, creation, God the Father, creator. Exodus, redemption, God the Son, redeemer, savior, and justifier. Leviticus, sanctification. God, the Holy Spirit, sanctifier and purifier. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. Is he's, God is the creator. This is him. This is his positional uh, being, which is outside, apart from us. And then comes redemption. We are the ones that messed it up. The world went into chaos. God sends his son into the world, okay? He redeems us. It's done. And then comes the sanctification in us. God is molding us into his image. Once again, we are already sanctified in God's eyes, but we are living lives that need to be sanctified. And that is Leviticus. You shall be holy for I am holy. That's right. The main theme of the entire book of Leviticus is found in Leviticus 11.44. Guess what it says? What we just said. Be ye holy for I am holy. Notice what it says there. You therefore shall consecrate yourselves and you shall be holy. Paul is following this example so we can figure out what is going on. This is something the Jews missed and continue to miss to this day. When they pray their feast blessings, their Sabbath blessings, and so on, they repeat the words, who has sanctified us with his commandments? That's the last thing they say. When they do the Shabbat and the candles, they say, blessed be the Lord who has sanctified us with his commandments. And they say this with all of their blessings. They think that they are holy because of his commandments. He has chosen them as his people and therefore they're holy. And so it doesn't matter what they do. That is not the way that it should be, okay? But one of his commandments is that they too are to be sanctified, Leviticus 11.44. They are to be holy. A partial or selective observance of the law is to make the law void and to nullify the sanctification needed on their part. Remember what James says, if you err in one part of the law, the law is broken, okay? If they are not being holy, 
as the Lord is holy, which is one of the commandments of Leviticus, then they are not sanctified and apart, set apart to the Lord. Everybody see that? That is the problem with law. Law will always make you fall away from the Lord, not bring you closer to the Lord. Okay? The law of Moses is given for a set purpose, and that set purpose is to lead us to Jesus. We need grace because we cannot live under law. Okay? That was proven in the garden. It was proven under the law. It's proven again and again in societies all over the world. People cannot live under law, and therefore people are judged. And the same is true with those in the church now. What was only pictured in the dietary laws of Israel in Leviticus 11 is seen fulfilled in the precepts given to us by the apostles. Things considered unclean in the dietary laws pictured people and acts which are unclean and immoral. If you don't understand what I just said to you, you should go back and you should watch the Leviticus 11 sermon on the foods that were clean and unclean before the Lord. And they have nothing to do with you putting that thing in your mouth. Nothing. That is a precept that actually points to things that every single word, like uh, you can't eat, we'll say swine, or you can't eat this particular, you can't eat a bat, you can't eat uh, you know, this particular animal or that particular animal. Every one of those animals, the root of that word goes back to something that is explained in the New Testament again and again and again. You will find out that the entire dietary law of Israel points to New Testament truths. I'm sure I've said this in this class, but just so that you understand what I'm talking about, when it says that you are to uh, only eat animals that have divided hooves and that chew the cud, what does that mean? What is that telling you? Chewing the cud is a picture of you eating the word of God, meditating on the word of God. And then what do they do when they chew the cud? They chuck it up again and they chew on it some more and they meditate on it and they're dieting on the word of God constantly. That's what cows do. They're just eating the same food. You go, if you've ever gone by a cow and a lot of people I know lived on farms in their life and they see a cow, they're always doing that. They just stand there and, they, and you look into their eyes and it's like nothing is going on. They are thinking about the food in their mouth. And they're just, and you can walk by and you can wave at them and they don't move their head. They just sit there and chew on the food. He's asking us to diet on the word. And the cloven hooves, it's rightly dividing the word of God. Take the word of God and don't misuse it. If it's not cloven at all, then it's just a word of God that's not even being analyzed properly. And so he's giving us pictures of those things. You can't eat anything without scales on it. Well, the scales have a meaning. You can't eat anything that blah, blah, blah. That has a meaning. All right, if you want to know what those are, go back and watch the Leviticus 11 sermon. And it will explain to you that it's not what the Jewish people are putting in their mouths that makes them holy. It's what the lesson is trying to teach them about Jesus Christ, about the coming Messiah. That is what it is, okay? And that's why Jesus himself said, it's not what goes into a mouth that makes a man unclean. It's what comes out of him. And he gives you a whole list of things that we do that make us unclean before God, okay? So they completely missed that precept. And to this day, they are missing that precept. And unfortunately, half of the church in the world is doing these things. Oh, we don't eat pork. No, that's has nothing to do with you being sanctified. And if you believe the Bible, it says you're already sanctified, so it can't be what you put in your mouth. 
It cannot be. Okay. All right. So Levit the Bereans have been a conversation piece throughout this entire class. Yeah, the Bereans go back and check scripture and, and think on it, meditate on it, it, chew on it. That's right. Okay. Things considered unclean in the dietary laws pictured people in acts which are unclean and immoral. Staying away from immorality then is for our, Paul says, sanctification. Not our positional sanctification, but our progressive sanctification, our life in Christ. Okay? The first thing Paul then notes as being immoral is to stay away, to stay away from is explained next by him with the words that you should abstain from sexual immorality. He puts that first, and he talks about it probably as much as any prohibition in his writings. And you find it everywhere else as well. You find it on the last page of the Bible. Throughout the Bible, sexual immorality is not condoned, okay? Here it is. I was going to say it, and I don't have to. The Bible set the pattern at the very beginning. Man plus woman in marriage. That is proper sexual conduct. Man plus woman in marriage. If you are doing something that doesn't match this and this, you are not properly conducting your life. If you are doing something with a person that is proper with this, but it's not with this, then it is improper. Okay? It's a very simple equation. Man plus woman in marriage. Anything else is immoral to God. Okay? I understand. Our thoughts, Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, then you commit adultery with her. Okay? I got to tell you, I don't know about you all, guys, but I struggle with that. I, I live on Siesta Key, and I drive down the road, and there are women in bikinis all over the place. And it's like I have to do this when I'm driving, because I don't want to get those thoughts in my head. All right? It's hard. You, you go to a news site, and you're looking for news articles in the morning, and all over the side of the news site are, are things that are attracting your attention away from what you should be thinking about. Okay? If that was something that kept me from Jesus, I would have been kept from Jesus probably every day since I came to Jesus, all right? It, it, it is in this world, and you can't get it out of your head sometimes, okay? It's if, a second look. Yeah, that, that, who was it, Adrian Rogers? Somebody no, said that. You're, there's nothing wrong with looking at a beautiful woman. It's the second look that'll get you, okay? Anyway, and that's true, because the Bible even talks about beautiful women. And when people struggle with this issue, I always take them back and I say to them, what does it say about Rachel? She was beautiful and lovely in form. Well, if that wasn't something that we could appreciate, then he wouldn't have put that in there. Why? Because he gave us flowers. And I will tell you this about flowers. I can look at a flower for an hour sometimes, depending on how beautiful it is. I can get lost in looking at a, I'm not kidding. When there is a flower that you look at the night blooming cirrus that comes out once, one time, during the year, once a year, but one time that flower opens up after sunset and it closes before sunset. And it happens this time of year in Sarasota, Florida. All right, it's happening right now because it is May. All right, it is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And when it opens up, I can stand there and I can look at it and I can look at every little thing and I can keep smelling it. And of course your, your senses get dulled. So then you walk away from it and you come back and you smell it again. I can literally look at a flower for an hour. Well, a flower doesn't compare to the beauty of a woman, all right? God is not worried about you appreciating the beauty of a woman. He's worried about what you're doing in your mind with that and what you may be doing physically with her. He doesn't want you to do that, okay? So, I, I, and I try to tell people that. The, the book, The Song of Solomon, when we get there, 
there are parts in there that will actually embarrass you. For our modern, you know, nowadays it's not anymore. I was going to say our kind of Victorian thinking, and in the church, hopefully it still is. But, you know, in modern society, it's nothing. But there are things when you read it and you think, you know, I can't believe they put that in the Bible. Because my presupposition is I shouldn't even be thinking about that. And there it is, right there in the Song of Solomon. So, okay. Um, but once again, we're going to say this again, and we're going to get ourselves banned from YouTube. Man plus woman in marriage. Anything else is sexual immorality. Okay? That is all there is to it. That's what the Bible says. Anything, yeah, there it is. Anything else is immoral. This is explained and re-explained in the Bible. Okay? Anything not within these narrow confines is to be abstained from. The highly perverse sexual conduct of the world today is completely opposed to the sanctification process which is expected of us. There are no exceptions given in the Bible. Okay? There are none. Now, I will admit that in the Old Testament people had concubines. I understand that. And that was a part of the cultural thing that the Lord allowed. He doesn't hide it. Those people had those things. And he also doesn't condemn it. All right? But I'm talking about biblical morality in the New Testament. There's nothing that ever allows us to do anything except man, woman, in marriage. Okay? And Jesus delineates that as well. He says that, okay? We can get into other issues, which I'm not going to get into during this class, but there are other issues that will come up in the pastoral epistles. And when I talk about them, people are going to get offended and they're going to not watch anymore, and that's fine. But I'm not going to sugarcoat the Word of God, okay? Having said that, um, you, want to, uh, you want to limit your... To marriage, okay, and to man and woman. That's what the Bible asks us to do. All right, life application. Attempting to justify sexual sin, meaning any sexual intimacy apart from a man and woman in the bonds of marriage is an affront to God. And it is opposed to the sanctification process which is outlined in scripture. I understand people struggle with this. I understand the temptations of the world. I will not ever tell you that I am above that, okay? I would be a liar if I said I was. It is a very difficult thing in this world that we're living in, especially, like I said, when you live on Siesta Beach and you pass by there every day, and it's just hard to not, it's difficult, and I understand that for people. And when you struggle with that, and here, here is what, when people email me, I usually say the same thing to them. Are you concerned about this? I am. Well, then you're on the right track. Right. If you're not concerned about it, then you're not on the right track. But if you are worried about what you are doing and what you are thinking is inappropriate, then you have a conscience that is not seared. And the Lord knows that. And he knows your heart and he knows that you're struggling with it because you are in a body that he created. He understands how it works. He understands how you physically react to things. Okay? He, he gets those things. If you are struggling with your actions, then and you, if you are struggling with your actions, then you have a conscience and you are on the right path with the Lord. Work just like anything else. Anything else that's an addiction or that uh, limits you from a right relationship with God, work on it. Keep working on it. And the one thing I always tell every single person, and I say it every single week in church, is fix your eyes on Jesus. If you do that, then everything else has less meaning. There's one other thing that I could tell you. I tell every single male that emails me with this issue as far as um, how to get over that 
and I'm not going to say it because the women will be very angry with me, but I say it to every male that emails me with a problem about, uh, you know, especially uh, sexual addiction of the mind or whatever. I say, I have a cure for it. Trust me on this. All right. I'm not going to tell you. I'm sorry. We'll never say it in front of a woman, but trust me on this. Okay. Uh, four, four. Dangling in yes, there. I will leave it dangling because it's something. It's people to email. It. I, no, I don't want anybody to email me unless they actually have a problem. But um, uh, it is something that I say, you know. Go ahead. Here we go. Four four. four, four, four is what we're at here. That that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Okay. This one says that each one of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Okay, so the word a body he's using, and I'm sure the Greek says vessel because they wouldn't just make that up. Uh, the body is the soma. I'm not sure what the word vessel is, but uh, Paul equates us to uh, somewhere else, the body of the people he calls them. Begins with earthen, ends with jars. Anybody? Earthen jars, okay? Or jars of clay is how the NIV translates it. That, okay, well, then maybe it is a body. Okay, I don't know what the word is. Don't ask me to look it up right now because we get the point. But um, when Paul says that we are a jar of clay, he's saying that we were made out of the dust. And the point that he is making is what is the value of a jar of clay? Absolutely nothing. It's just, it's just a jar. What is the important part is what the jar contains, okay? When you have the Holy Spirit in you, this precious deposit in jars of clay is the point he's making. This means nothing. This is going to perish. We're all going to die unless the Lord comes first. And when we die, we're going to rot right back to the ground from which we came. The Bible says it's going to happen, and there's been no exception for 6,000 years. We all die and we corrupt. Okay, now obviously we have embalming to make it last a little longer, but you look at the embalmed Egyptians and they don't look really good, okay? Uh, they're in a state of corruption and they will be all gone someday, all right? Cryogenics, I hate to tell you, but someday the machine is gonna lose power and the battery backup is not gonna work and you are gonna corrupt. And it's gonna be a lot faster than normal because you're frozen. And once you unfreeze, you're just gonna, these people that think they're gonna live forever, are not going to. Okay, but without they Jesus, they are not going to live forever. The what? But they could. They Jesus. could. That's right. So there you go, 4-4. Four, four. The verse begins to explain the will of God. Okay, that's Paul's words. Paul mentioned in the previous verse that the will of God for the believers in Thessalonica, and thus us, because we are receiving this letter, is sanctification. After noting this, he began the idea of sanctification with abstaining from sexual immorality. In order to meet this goal, he now explains it with that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. Paul likens our body to a vessel. Elsewhere, he calls it an earthen vessel, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. That's the verse that I was looking for. If you look in the NIV, I'm certain that it'll say a jar of clay, okay? Um, that's, uh, I just remember that from reading that version, okay? And I like the way that they said that. Okay, so, um, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Let's go there just to uh, make sure that I have the, the right context on that. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, all right? <laughs> 2 Corinthians 4, and let's see, it's at 9, 8, 6, 5, 4, uh, and then verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power of God may not be of us, 
okay? He's talking about the precious deposit in us, the Holy Spirit. The excellence of God is not of us. We have this treasure given by God. What does yours say? But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay. See, I remembered it. It was the NIV. Okay. And I remember thinking, you know why I remembered that especially is because, does anybody know the band, Jars of Clay? Great music. Great music. Okay. If you don't like it, I'm sorry, but I really, really like their music. They're an old Christian band, I think, from the 70s or 80s. or Have you heard them, Don? Yeah. Oh, good. I, I, I love Jars of Clay. Sometimes I just, one of their songs will play and I'll just go and click it on their thing and just listen for an hour and a half of their music very very good music anyway um if you like kind of modern christian music some people don't they want to hear hymns only or whatever that's fine i don't whatever makes you happy um we are a soul which is transported around by an earthly shell thus it is a vessel in 2 corinthians 4 verse 7 the vessel is explained as something uh containing something meaning the Holy Spirit. In this verse now, it is a vessel for doing something. We are to, as Paul says, possess it. The wording doesn't just mean grab hold of, but to gain hold of. We can grab something and not have control of it, like a rider in a rodeo who gets bucked off a bronco. Or we can gain hold of something through continued diligence, thus subduing the horse and making it a useful tool around the ranch. The same is true with our bodies. When we come to Christ, our soul is reconnected to God. It is our spiritual rebirth. It is contrary to the notion of being reconnected to God to continue to live in a worldly manner. Instead, we are to use our members in a life ever leading toward holiness. Paul gives a description of how to do this. We just went through this book a while ago, Colossians 3. So. Colossians 3 and then verse 5. Therefore put to death your members. He's talking about your members, which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Okay, so he admits that these people came out of that type of a life. He also is telling them to not do that, which means that they're probably still doing it, and that's why he has to tell them not to do it, right? And so what does that tell you about sanctification? There must be two states of it. There is the immediate sanctification, which sets you apart forever to God, and there is the progressive sanctification that some people never do, some people do partially, and some people seem to excel at, okay? But that does not affect your positional sanctification nor your salvation, okay? Unfortunately, people uh, continue to teach in all different denominations around the world that you can lose your salvation, that you are beholden to the church to tell you what to do and to, you know, that's bondage. They are keeping control of you so that they have control of you in their their congregation. They have control of you in your wallet and every other way. They want you not to understand that you are free in Christ and that Christ has set you free. Now you can live for God. You need to be the one to follow the roadmap, the manual that God has set forth, and you will live that way. It will come about. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Don't let people tell you things that are not in accord with this word, okay? In living this way and in other ways that the Bible explains, like I just read from Colossians, to us concerning a life of holiness, we will possess our, Paul's words, our own vessel in sanctification and honor. 
the sanctification is for ourselves in accord with what the Holy Spirit has already done for us. He possesses us, now we need to strive to live as he would, you know, you want to live in a vessel that is living properly, okay? And so that would be sanctifying us before God. The honor is an outward display to glorify God. The word translated as honor is one which carries the meaning of a price. Thus it is a perceived value. Of what value is the glory of God to us? That's what we need to ask ourselves. Is, is it that important to us or it doesn't really matter to us? How does the glory of God who redeemed you from sin matter to you? Okay, this is the idea of what Paul is saying. Christ paid the ultimate price for our sins and so we should deem his work in this manner as most precious, showing others what we believe the price means to us, okay? And if we do that, if we live out the life that we should be, it is going to be pleasing to God, okay? Once again, you're already sanctified, you're already saved, but you wanna live the life that will bring God the honor and that will set you apart from the people of the world, okay? It's not easy sometimes, I understand there are people that come to Christ that are alcoholics, there are people that are drug addicts, there are people that have all kinds of baggage heaped up on their life. And some of those things are very, very difficult to get through, okay? You know, one of the things that it can be really harming, uh, and it, it doesn't mean that it's bad for that person. The person comes to Christ and he gives up drinking, he's never drank again, even though he drank his whole life away until that day, okay? And it seemed like it was easy for him. And then some people come to Christ and they struggle with alcoholism many years and they think why am I not you know why why am I not good like that person and so it's really harming to them to hear these testimonies because they said why can't I do what I I, I don't want to do the things I do but I'm stuck doing them okay everybody is different we all have limitations Paul had his own limitations you know he had something he had some thorn of the flesh that uh, he could not get rid of we don't know what it was the, he asked the Lord to take it from him three times, and the Lord said, what? My grace is sufficient for you, okay? So some people have to trust in God's grace in different ways than other people, okay? The guy that gave up drinking overnight and never drank again has other issues in his life, I absolutely assure you. He's not the perfect guy that, you know, stands up and gives his testimony and says, my life has been perfect ever since. If he says that, I wouldn't trust him. Billy, yes. Billy Sunday was like that. Yeah, Billy Sunday. And he drank milk from then on. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it affected his stomach. His, his, absolutely. His, the rest of his life. So he, he, he paid the price for Yeah, him. absolutely. And that's what people think, you know, oh, when I come to God, when I come to Jesus, my life is going to be perfect. And listen, everything that you did that was harmful to your body before you came to Christ doesn't just get healed all of a sudden. You're going to suffer with those things, okay? I, if we have, uh, you know, we, uh, I don't know, you're a downhill skier and you bust your legs and they're no good ever again and you come to Christ, it doesn't mean you're going to be able to walk tomorrow, okay? If the Lord wants to heal you, he will heal you. And if he doesn't, then your affliction should bring glory to him in a different way, okay? Totally up to him. Wow, it's already time to close. Um, we've got to finish this. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, did I read that? Yes, okay. We should deem his work in this manner as most precious showing others what we believe the price to means to us. Okay, life application. If we continue in sexual sins after accepting Christ, what type of value are we placing on the work of Christ? And what does the sanctification of the Spirit mean to us? 
We were called in our sin, but with the idea that we are to come out of our sin. By remaining in or returning to whatever sin we were saved from, it demonstrates that we hold this way of life in a greater esteem than the new life we have been called to. Okay. Now, having said that, once again, when people email me and they say, I've got this problem in my life, and I say, does this bother you? And they say, yes, then what I just read you is not true. They do not hold that in higher esteem than the Lord. They just struggle with the issue. Okay. So understand your limitations. If you are struggling with it, then that is something that it shows that you are at least caring about the sanctification of the Lord. All right. Is this earth our home? Or are we looking for a return to paradise, which we lost so long ago? Let us ever strive towards holiness, sanctification, and honor. Okay? Now, once again, I, I try to tell people, and they may think that I'm just saying it because I'm supposed to make people feel good, but uh, people will email me with emails, and I'll go back and I'll say, you know what? I could have written this. I could have written that email to you this morning. Your anger is the same anger I had yesterday, okay, or whatever. And I will say that to people, and I'm never making it up just to appease them. When something in my life happens to match something that somebody emails to me, I tell them, I'm struggling with exactly what you're struggling with right now, okay? There's no perfect in Charlie Garrett. There never will be until we are glorified, okay? And if anyone here struggles with something, I assure you, there are other people struggling right there along with you. Do not feel alone in your struggles. Don't feel like you're the only one doing things that you shouldn't be doing, okay? The main thing is to never let your conscience be seared to sin and to keep focusing on Jesus and remember that grace is grace. God is not going to give you grace and take it away from you, all right? I understand the feelings of how could you love me right now, God? How could you love a guy like me? I understand that. Okay, I'm right there with you in that. But don't forget that grace is grace and he does love you because you have believed in Jesus. All these sins can be forgiven. Absolutely. Except if they don't believe in Jesus. That's right. If you don't believe in Jesus, nothing can overcome that. Nothing. But if you have come to Christ, he has overcome every single gross thing that any person on this planet has ever done. Okay? If Adolf Hitler came to Jesus, he would have been forgiven of every single thing he did. Okay, I don't think that happened. There's no record of it. But if he did, he would have been forgiven. So your sin, you know, and people that cling too tightly to their sins are showing that they don't trust the grace of God. They have not come to the place where they trust it. They may believe it, but they don't yet trust it. Just trust God's grace, okay? Heavenly, Jeffrey, yes. I heard Jeffrey Dahmer became a Christian. He did. Jeffrey Dahmer became a Christian. All right? Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jeffrey Dahmer became a Christian. We thank you that your grace even covers his sin. And we thank you that whatever we do and whatever we are thinking in our lives and the depraved things that go on that we struggle with in our lives, we know that you have forgiven us and we cling to that. We thank you for grace because grace is grace. And Lord, help us to live these lives of sanctification that you have called us to. Help us not to live and continue to live in lives of anger, bitterness, sexual immorality, or other things that weigh us down and destroy us. Lord, help our testimony to be faithful and to be a good witness to the people that we come in contact with. May it be so, because we will come in contact with these people. May we 
be willing to speak to them and tell them about the goodness of Jesus. We pray this in his beautiful name. Amen. Amen. All right. I'll say goodbye to these folks right now. Goodbye. All right. And then we'll back this up and give them a wave. We'll break. <laughs>